week, every conversation is going to be like, how do we get women to ride bicycles? How do we get black people to ride bicycles? And you're like, wait, so they don't? Yeah. <laughs> they aren't? Like, yeah. what? A, like, I, you know, yeah. I see them every day. I see yeah. them riding bicycles. Like, why, you know? And in some cases, it is literally people who, you know, have these paid advocacy jobs who don't commute by bicycle themselves, whose job it is to convince other people to do exactly that. You know, and so it's like really the best way to like look at those social problems, I feel, is to, you know, illuminate a these populations are already bicycling. Like these are conversations that they're having at these events is how do we get different oppressed groups to ride bicycles? Literally. Yeah. Every year, year after year after year. And then rather than like presenting original material or like original perspectives, people, the, the focus. And I mean, you've probably been to enough conferences to know that like, public speaking skills or like quality of presentation are not held up as the hallmarks of like who gets to be the keynote it's like prestige of who they are in their position in society sure but i mean you know it 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 certainly helps to be able to engage an audience i mean those are the people who get the the positive feedback i mean those are the people who sort of come away as the victors of the conference and the people who have the the most exciting presentations Those, those are very important skills to have in a, in a conference setting you would think that though i i feel that my yeah. um my experience has often led me to believe otherwise yeah um we're when, going to very different conferences though, so. yeah <laughs> and so what happens a lot is um this sort of idea of like twisting a statistic yeah and handing that out as a talking point what about like? What about you know? Is 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 there is there such a thing as, as big bicycle in these conferences? You know, is is there like a Huffy lobby? Are there people? Okay, no. no I mean, there's got to be somebody. You know, they, I mean, certainly, certainly, uh, Giants got something to gain from more people riding bicycles. The the it's advocacy isn't really represented by the businesses yeah. or the companies that dominate the industry. You know, I mean, Trek, uh, Cannondale. They they have yeah. no presence. The people that are selling products at these things are like the, the kind of like like you can buy a parking system for your city at you know a cost of fifty thousand dollars per yeah. location, you know. So like, it's but there 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 is a commercial element to these. Somewhat, I mean, yeah. it's, there's a trade show element, okay, but not. It's like this is literally like I feel like if I didn't have punk rock, yeah. And I wanted to change the world, I would have ended up in this sphere. Because it's like... Why do you qualify that with the punk rock thing? Just in terms of of your approach? No, I mean, it just like made me able to identify and call out bullshit. I see. Whereas, like... Um, you would have taken a more bureaucratic approach. Yeah, yeah I mean, okay. I guess... I would hope not. It pains yeah. me to think. But yeah, yeah, yeah. in all reality, like, if if you have the, like, social conscience... And you don't have the analytical skills to realize that, you know, I mean, it's like many, it's like uh, any number of like public charities like Red mm-hmm. Cross or whatever, you know, not them specifically, but many organizations like them, especially like public aid for disaster relief. You know, you, you like can look through their records and find out, you know, every dollar you give them, 97 cents of it goes to pay their yep. staff time, you know, and it's things like that where like if you don't have those analytical skills to like 
tease out like what is the relevant data or like what is someone saying or not saying you know you can quickly fall into this hole of getting paid in a nonprofit world without actually having any positive local mm-hmm. or otherwise impact. I, li- I like the idea, though, is of punk rock just being your sort of like primary driver of being able to call people on their shit. Yeah, I mean, it, for me it was. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's, I guess, that, like, and I, you know, people always, <laughs> it's like, and because the, and this is, you wouldn't, it's, it's, and basically is a good, um, frame for this reason is that like even in Medellin other Americans went there and presented talks that were in no way their own research mm. or their own statistics like they just basically gave talks they had seen someone else give yeah. with someone else's unvetted data and statistics why why would people like that go to a, I mean you know, it's I mean obviously everybody's going there for some kind of I don't want to say personal interest but you know what what are those people representing specifically I mean if you know if you're there if you're there as an advocate if you're there as you know as as sort of um, like a reporter in a sense if there are people who are there you know actually selling something if there are people there who are actually trying to like affect local change what is somebody who's going to an event like that and just regurgitating statistics? What are they doing well, there? Well, I mean, it's one, like, I mean, I'm, I would guess it's one part ego, one part, like, yeah. you believe that by repeating these statistics that impacted you that they will yeah. have impact on other people. But, yeah. and, you know, and I guess that's the thing. So, like, when we go on tour, normally the number one question is, like, you are crazy. And by that, I mean not like all of the other advocates that I know how did you end up in this role, hmm. you know? And that's normally the first, like, and I, and I remember I explained to them that, like, as a teenage punk rocker, I had a moral obligation to ride a bicycle, and thus I had a, you know, like, and then you quickly figure out, like, everything that's broken about the world and cities, yeah. and then you quickly have a... But there's just an expectation that you'll just be kind of boring? Oh, my God. <laughs> they want that sometimes. They want that. Sometimes. Yeah. Because boring is professional? Well, because boring is unthreatening. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I can't tell you how many times... So, um, uh, my company, uh, Microcosm Publishing, did a, there. Bo- okay. <laughs> did a book. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm framing it for our... Sure, our, sure, sure, sure. Listeners, called Bikeonomics, mm-hmm. and, and this is... This is maybe the best window into the mainstream bike advocacy world, which is like any other nonprofit industrial yeah. complex. Yeah. But this really was unforeseen to us at the time because we were like, this is a really challenging radical book that like mm. reframes the entire debate. And the advocates loved it mm. and they still love it. And the, you know, like we will go through boxes and boxes of them next week because. It was one of those things that, like, was a sort of a nice touchstone to, like, hit the reset button on the, like, people just repeating other people's statistics. Yeah. But now they just repeat the statistics from the book, which is weird in and of its own yeah. way. But the weirdest part of it is that for certain people, all that what what they see in the book is how bicycling can be used as a tool for gentrification, which is so mind-bending to me 
And so then the downside of this, of course, is that on tour, there literally will be people that expect the presentation to be, you know, so they will, and oftentimes, like, we are presenting for mayors or city council people or other elected officials or public employees, and they're summoned for the purpose of learning how to use bicycling as a gentrification tool. That's bizarre on so many levels, and and one of them is just, like, knowing what you do, knowing what microcosm does, the fact that that even wound up in in their hands as is you know as as a as a, as a tool book for 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 that sort of thing with i i guess i'm just not doing any sort of research into what it is that they would that's that's such that's so bizarre it's because nobody has been i mean i'm sorry not nobody very few people have been innovative in the dialogue yeah. in so many years yeah that when you are like, here are some actual statistics that are from actual studies that support these arguments. And a lot of them are from New York. I mean, Jeanette Sadat Khan did a fantastic job of like when somebody threw out an emotional argument at her, Mm -hmm. she would like send somebody to do statistical counts and disprove this argument, which is badass and totally punk rock. But most of the other people when they go to a city council meeting and say, I want this, or any sort of public process meeting like we were discussing, yeah. and they say, I want the city to do this, the city says, well, people just aren't interested in that here, or other things that are like completely unsubstantiated other than like public or elected officials being afraid to do anything because it'll have blowback. Yeah, it, I... Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I haven't been super involved in the, the bike community in New York, but it's, it certainly feels like it's just like everybody is just so focused on just trying to survive at this point that it's hard to it's it's hard for anybody to to be an act an activist in, in a city like this. And things are things are just so so the way. I mean, I was having a conversation with with somebody about this later about the idea of like. Um, as you know, as as city planning continues, we're just basically just chopping up the same blocks into smaller and smaller spaces. So, just just sort of the notion. I mean, when the High Line, you know, the High Line is that big park. I mean, just, even the fact that that like that could have happened in the past like ten, fifteen years seems like a crazy idea to me. I mm-hmm. mean, there's just you know, is it like, is there any is there hope in a city like this in a city that just seems like so kind of set in its ways and you know the grids are there and things are getting more and more expensive is is there is there any hope that it might at some point become a more bike friendly city i mean have you how long have you been here about 10 12 years yeah okay so just at the beginning of that time yeah. riding a bike here was you know you i this my joke is that uh there's rating levels of yeah. quality of bicycle city yeah and so my joke is that like uh, a platinum city means that you only risk your life once or twice on the way to work, sure. whereas a gold city means ten to twenty times, yeah. whereas a bronze is yeah, yeah, yeah. a few hundred. You know, yeah. and ten to twelve years ago in New York, it was much much worse. Okay, because I've never felt safe riding in the city. Right. There are certain there 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 are, there are spots, but actually, like especially in in Manhattan, yeah. um, unless you're. And you know, I've got my my robber my uh, Robert yeah, Moses book on the wall. I saw that. I'm but, impressed. But like you know, un- 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 unless you're actually riding on the outskirts of the city, you are. You f- it feels like you're risking your life, you know, five to six times on a block by block basis. Mm-hmm. And but it's you think it's gotten better? Oh, it's un- undeniably. Yeah. I mean, just the way that you come across from Brooklyn yeah. into you know under the Greenway now is 
oh, it's yeah. game changing. Yeah. Like you, you know, once you, you know, the, and so that's funny now that like the biggest problem on that particular route um, it would not be your commute into Manhattan, but for those coming in from Brooklyn, sure. you, you know, the biggest problem now is just like tourists on the bridge who yeah. are like not paying attention yeah. rather than like yeah. you being run over. Yeah. Yeah, that know? that is that's interesting. I feel like the dialogue is, has changed in an interesting way. Where I've talked to a lot of people, and like the the bicyclists are seen as the enemy of the pedestrian, you know, mm-hmm. because it's because it you know it gets to a point where um, you know you especially in like like New York or or San Francisco when you you have to be so aggressive as a bicyclist that it it's probably pretty easy to to get into that relationship with pedestrians where you're where where you have to be aggressive yeah i mean new york is you're, you guys are all about being aggressive yeah. right i mean that's like your yeah. your brand you, sure you're like i'm a yeller you know like a, <laughs> even just on walking over here from yeah. the subway there's like a guy unloading a truck in the street and two different people are honking at him and he's like, "What do you want? I'm yeah. working here." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, "That's New York." Yeah, you had a very. I, I need to take the headphones out sometimes. You had a very, very New York experience. I, I, I might just be like totally blind to it at this point. But uh, all right, so uh, we have we've, we have managed to go a very long way without talking oh. about microcosm. Okay, okay. which is uh, makes me a little sad. Mm. That's why. That's why. That's why you're here. That's why. Like uh, my my first experience with you guys was. Um, just going to going to a lot of shows and buying books and gradually noticing that like fifty to seventy five percent of them had the same logo on them. Like it, it it's it's incredible to me how almost ubiquitous you guys have sort of become become in that world. Just you know, in terms of like any any sort of like it seems like any sort of like zine or self published thing with a with a real distribution behind it has some connection to you guys well thank you yeah <laughs> i mean that, that 50 to 75 percent i mean for are a you while exaggerating there, no i mean for like i don't know if the um, you could probably check out my bottom few shelves there but it's a, it probably makes up a pretty 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 good chunk of them our books are pretty thin so they're kind yeah. of yeah <laughs> yeah well i've got my my mini i've got my spinner racks in the oh, room, so you okay. can check those out later mm-hmm. i mean yeah there's yeah there's some, i see some books yeah. yeah yeah no doubt okay yeah i mean it's uh i mean that's the same I, I don't know i guess it is sort of like it is it is sort of like you know it's like um sst or something right i mean it's sort of like no but you know from the standpoint of like you don't need to flatter me. Well, from the standpoint of you know of, of this idea of like, I mean, it is it, you can you can trace it back to punk rock from like, uh, you know, oh, you know, I start, started listening to bands, and then you started no- noticing that they're on the same label, mm-hmm. and from that you get the idea that that oh yeah, maybe there's maybe there's sort of a scene happening because you know we're you know we're we're old enough dudes that we sort of that we pre- predate the internet, we we predate this this. Um, ability to just sort of like find out about a band, go online and know everything about them instantly. Mm-hmm. And that was always a really exciting part about music was starting to see how things were connected. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and a record label, I mean, granted a record label isn't a scene, but it's kind it of is. a tangible version of that, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I felt like all the, I mean, at least it has, it's the illusion of a scene. Yeah. You know, yeah. like these people may not all hang out and know each other, but yeah. they're going to be lumped together in the eyes yeah. of the fans. Yeah, or or you know the, the sort of the the 
person at the top with 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 the mission statement i guess the person some somebody somewhere i mean sst is an interesting example because you know you've you know you've got like husker do on there but mm-hmm. but somebody somebody at some somewhere i, I assume god bless him great you know greg ginn you know it's like calling the shots and 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 has some sort of like some sort of idea of what it means to be a band on this label and that's mm-hmm. and that's that's what connects them all right there's some yeah well, I'm glad that is that parallel is apparent at least yeah. to I mean, I'm guessing you're probably pushing 40 like I am. So a little bit. Yeah, a little I've got a few more years. I've got a okay. few more years. I'm so, pushing a little softer. At least some, yeah. you know, at least it's clear to you because yeah. you know, that to me like that is the most important thing is to like show how it's unique. So that was actually going to be my question for you or as I was like like what I I'm constantly in a point where I'm in a room that have no a room full of people that have no idea who i am or yeah. why i'm interesting and i'm having to explain <laughs> why you're interesting right why or like never ex- never explain why you're interesting joe that <laughs> but that it, it, and, and that's the th- you know and yeah i mean a yes yeah. you can't it's impossible yeah. you just look like an asshole you know and then it's also like one of those things where you know and this is the w- I mean, and I'm not, it's not like a new career, but it's like a new, you know, this is yeah. like what we're doing now going to, you know, we like still go to comic book shows and we still go to punk rock, mm-hmm. con, you know, festivals and we still go to like weird uh, places where like books typically aren't, but doing this th- through like a more, tra- I, can you say traditional activist lens, you know, as like trying to impede social change in a place that's been like sort of stagnated from it in like doing the, the bicycling films and going to their like advocacy conferences Mm -hmm. and sort of pushing them to like do what it is that they say that they do has been a way, you know, it's like humbling in the best way because it's like, my 20 years of history is not known nor yeah. commodity and so like people often treat me like i am somebody else's assistant hmm. and that's you know it's and i think it's an important thing to develop but so then i'm like forever having to like have the like how do i even explain what i do yeah because you know for so many years i would just like do what I did and people paid attention to it and I wouldn't ever like have to chase after stuff. Whereas now like I'm having to like ask people if I can give a presentation at a conference and they're like, I'm sorry, who are you? But, but if, if that world is relatively new, new to you and if, and if advocacy in, in that sense is relatively new to you, what, you know, what are, I guess, what are you bringing to the table? You know, you know, something like, you know, it is chutzpah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not there yeah. elsewhere. Yeah, but you know what? What is what is what is a background as a publisher? You know, <laughs> yeah, obviously you've 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 been riding bikes for a long time. But yeah. is that yeah. is that enough in and of itself, or are just having good ideas enough? Look, if you can go to a present, if you can go to a conference and present somebody else's talk and statistics, yeah, I feel like anything is game. Sure, <laughs> you know? sure. If that is like acceptable to put on the program, yeah. Like, but I guess this idea, like this idea of of you know of, like trying to explain who you are and what what you do and why you're important. I mean, maybe you shouldn't have to. Maybe, I should hope not. Yeah, I mean, sucks. maybe 
Yeah, I mean, but may, you know, maybe I, theoretically the ideas should be important. But I guess in order to get yourself in front of people. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of the weirder part. Okay, and so this is the other thing. is like when you've been doing the same thing for 20 years is like people take you for granted, which yeah. is fine. Like obviously I'm very thankful that it has yeah. lasted as long as it has. Yeah. Not to sound ungrateful, but it's like the thing where like, you know, when we actually need money to do something, yeah. like even if it's like to pay the rent or to like print something, yeah. people are very much like, well, we know it's going to happen one way or another. So, like, I know you don't need my 20 bucks. Yeah, that's why I keep, I keep, this, like, the dialogue, it keeps, like, going, or the, I guess the monologue, it keeps going over and over again in my head. It's just, like, I just wish, like, just let me rest on my laurels just for, just a little bit, you know? Just, uh, just, yeah. just long enough to sort of, to, to, to catch my breath. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, this is the, you know... And it's, uh, it's like, meant as a compliment, but it sometimes feels backhanded where, yeah. like, you know, like, we do a tour every single year. We do a dozen to two dozen books every year, you know? And it's, like, because of that, people always are saying things like, you know, like, you're so organized, nobody else would do this. Yeah. But they say it in a way that, like, I don't actually need to buy this book because I know that you will be doing this next year one way or another. Yeah. That, that is – you have sort of, like, painted yourself into an interesting corner because um, – I mean that that's the flip side of like seeing the 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 logo and everything is that you've like you've almost become this sort of monolith in a sense, right? I mean, in that world, like who who what what what's a comparable brand in that world? Right. The, yeah, that's the other unanswerable question, yeah. right? Is like you know, there's people that are very different than like, and here's the difference: like we're still independent, yeah, whereas like. Normally, after five to ten years, yeah. a, a book publisher sure. gets swallowed by a bigger company who yeah. either gets bought out. Or... Either that's either that's the the dream, or just you know you get tired. You I mean, get that's tired of hustling. All what time. happens? Yeah. I mean, what one whatever reason? Yeah, you know. I mean, you you just don't have. And there's a few other exceptions, but they're not really comparable. You know, yeah. like uh, you know, I mean, it's like Paladin Press is not like us. But they're independent, and Is bazillion points are they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a very different kind of thing. Yeah. But you know, again, it's they're independent. Yeah. And like uh, Last Gasp in San yeah, Francisco yeah, yeah, yeah. is yeah. not. I mean, they're more like us than sure. maybe bazillion points or. They 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 seem more like a distributor than anything else, right? I mean, that's and, their main. No, no, they're a book publisher. Yeah, but isn't isn't distribution isn't that's where that's where the money comes from, right? As um, far as I can tell. Yes and no. Yeah. I mean, they they have mostly because like book publishing is like gambling, <laughs> but it's like gambling for romantics, you okay. know. And so they have after a bunch of bad bets. They, yeah. you know, I mean, and and I think this is the other thing is like, they're forty three years old, yeah, which that makes us look young. You it's know? gambling from the standpoint of every single book you put out could potentially tank the company or at least do do really terrible damage to it. But they, you know, and so you know when you're that established, yeah, you get you know it's a it's kind of a pisser that. You are used to being able to do the things that you sure. love and the things that you think people should like, yeah. and it's just not like that anymore. 
Is I mean, is there is there room at this point? Do you think for you know potentially another company to come in and do that? I mean, it just it feels like I hate to say it, but it, it you know it at this point. They, they always were to some degree, but kind of now more so than ever, zines feel like a, a niche, right? I mean, it's it like there there are still this group of people who still want to read those things on paper, but as much as as much as the internet, as much as you know, as as Kindle and things like that are hurting book publishing, I would think that the damage would be all the more greater for self publishing, just because it's. You know, it's it's so easy to self-publish on the internet. It's so mm-hmm. so easy to do mm-hmm. that. Yeah, and that's... so it seems like it'd be taking an even larger bite out of that community. And certainly, I've seen it. You know, it seem it seems to have gotten a bit smaller over the past. Well, I my assessment is that yes, it is too easy to self-publish books via any number of like hit the button programs or even but even beyond that i mean you know more more comparable in a lot of cases to zine would be just like a blog i mean that's the that's the easiest thing in the world right sure but as far as like a i'm selling something capacity the real burden of self-publishing and you know i mean i guess the real burden on small publishers like we are Mm -hmm. is that there are now, you know, I mean, there's 4,000 new books published every day, which is the greatest number in all of history, hmm. you know, whereas that used to be what was published every three months or so, yeah. you know, even 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. And so to somebody like ourselves, Microcosm, or Last Gasp, or such, the consequences of that are extreme in that people are just much more jaded about buying books, you know, buying zines, buying anything, because there's, you know, 90 times as many choices as they're used to. Yeah. And so it's much harder for anybody to notice that these, like, that the new thing exists or for them to care. Yeah. You know, and it's... So, like, the number one response I hear from, like, even our fans who obviously are invested in us and pay attention to what we're doing is they're forever like, oh, I didn't know that this thing had come out. Yeah. And you're like, well, we did the same thing that we do for all sure. the things. So, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no, I have, I, yeah, I'm, yeah, I, 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 everybody, everybody has that problem on the internet. I have, I have the same problem. I, I certainly have that problem with, with the show, you know, of, mm. like, you know, I... I, how many tweets did I do? And I know that you follow me. And how is it possible that 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 that, that completely yeah. missed your radar? It's just there's too much. People are just too paying attention to too many things. And so I guess time. that's the thing, you know. And like yeah. even ten years ago, like we were probably at our height in 2006. Mm. Ten, yeah, not quite ten years ago. Yeah. And at that point, it was like. We did no marketing. We did no, I mean, other, you know, we make made catalogs and yeah. like sent them to people that asked for them and like went to shows. But like we had no, like, we're going to think about how to reach our people. Yeah. Like, and, you know, we got phone calls asking for, like, I need to interview such and such author like every day, you know, whereas now it really feels like you have to constantly like contact the newspaper in the author's hometown Hmm. and be like they have a new book do you want to talk to them whereas i mean it's just like the complete oversaturation and you know and it's the same thing where like 
And then the other thing I hear all the time is like, oh, microcosm still exists? Is a constant question, <laughs> which is like the worst thing you want to yeah. hear, you know? Yeah, yeah. I guess, yeah, I mean, everybody, that, that it's, it's sort of a given at this point that everybody has to do their own hustling, but that's... That's the idea of getting on a publisher, right? Is is, is having somebody to to mm-hmm. sort of to, to to help you out with that that part of the process, right? And so, like, I, what we do have is, you know, we have actually we have the same distributor as Bazillion Points. Uh, we work with uh, Perseus in, uh, I mean, they're I guess they're everywhere. I guess yeah. our main office is here, and then, but um, we mostly work out of their offices in Berkeley, and then that's the total game changer because, like, they yeah. can sell the books into everywhere. Have you, I mean, has, has your, are you as involved as you, as you ever were? I mean, especially now that you're, you're taking on, on these other projects? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay. nothing, I mean, I'm probably actually more yeah. uh, involved than I was years ago. Yeah. Um, but mostly just because, like, you have to be. It's like every single copy you sell is a hustle. Yeah. You know, whereas, like, you know, as I said, you used to just, you make a thing. Yeah. People find the thing. They realize they like it. They buy it. Yeah, like, uh, going out to shows is a big is a big part of that. Is actually like g- getting it into people's hands. Yeah, I mean, but like even even comic book shows has become like kind of a closed loop vacuum. Mm. You know, where like that's not finding a new audience. That's yeah. just like bringing it to the people that only buy books in that capacity. Yeah. That's cra- it's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, it makes sense, but it's crazy to me because it just feels like. It feels like that world keeps getting bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. Not for us, but Not maybe us. in yeah. overall, yeah. Like we, <laughs> like our, you know, we, and, it, and it doesn't make sense because we do more books every year and going to the same show every year, you make 10% less than you did the year before. Yeah, yeah. that doesn't know. make sense. But that's a good, that's a good reason to just go down, go, go around and do different shows. I mean, at the very least, it seems like there are more shows every single year. Yeah. There are yeah. more, you know, there are more smaller independent comic shows, smaller, uh, smaller self-publishing shows. Or there, it seems like there's zine, zine fests popping up all over the time, um, all, all over the place, all the time. Um, I've been a little disappointed with the with what I've seen in New York mm. compared to like Elsewhere. San Francisco, and yeah, mm. I mean, there's not. I don't know. Is there is there a is there a zine community in in New York City? Yeah, I mean, yeah. but okay. I mean, that maybe. Community might be a stretch, <laughs> which is crazy, right? I mean, it seems like there's enough people yeah. with that interest that there should be something more happening. I mean, are there are there communities in general the way the way there used to be? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I feel like like for for and this is kind of why we went a little bit more Big Ten. I mean, partly like it's twofold. Like yeah. we do more, like we do mostly book books yeah. nowadays. Yeah. Partly because like when you're pushing 40 rather than pushing 25 you like need things that are more depthy and engaging of the brain to like maintain your own interest because mm. it's like you, and what i see so much in the the zine movement is it's like snakes fighting in a pit you know sure. where they're like my opinion on this yeah, yeah, yeah. of how band-aids are racist we must sure. take a stand against band-aids yeah. and you're like yeah, but like that's not a social movement. That's not how that happens. You know, that's like you have struck upon something, and it's interesting mm-hmm. as like a maybe a you know at a party, but it's not interesting. Like you're not going to build anything from that. And so what I see is like sort of this sort of 
picking each other apart and bickering rather than like yeah. growing something and i guess maybe my that's just the progressive movement in general right but it's not you know i don't, don't think so i, I mean, don't think that's, so it always seems like the left is just like it's it's hard to get stuff done because everybody's fighting about the nuance of everything mm-hmm. and i guess that's why i went with the path that i did yeah. you know is that like because i don't want to be tearing each other down mm. To the ground, what, you know what? What? What path? Just just publishing as broad a swath as possible. Yeah, yeah, like doing proper paperbacks and like yeah. aiming them at a broader audience. Not not broader. Not, not I guess not bigger, but like you know, like getting it out of an echo chamber. Mm. You know, like I feel like that is so much more gratifying to me, even if the sales are the same. Yeah, I mean, but you know, it's I don't echo chamber. I'm, I guess I'm not entirely sure what you mean by that. Just from the standpoint of like, um, you know, if you're publishing books about um, you know bicycling for people who who bicycle, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's again, it's the point is books about race and class and gender yeah. for people who bicycle. Okay, but it's you know, I guess you're. Seldom are those like seldom, you know. This this one this one pamphlet seems like uh, a different case, but you know, seldom are they are they actually getting into the hands of people whose minds you can actually change. Is that is that fair yeah, to say? Yeah. I mean, it's like there there's a certain amount of preaching to the choir happening there, right? No, I mean that's sort of the whole point of the shift. You know, like we were we had no trade distributor until 2011. Where we, you know, and that was fifteen years in. Yeah, and then we worked with Independent Publishers Group for four years. Oh, not quite four years, three years, and um, and that you know, I mean, it's like it lets you know what you can do, you know, with reaching outside of yeah. the, the intellectual ghetto. Yeah, you and know? you're making it into bookstores and. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that's the real change of the last few years is that like now the books aren't sold as a set from us as a publisher. They're sold by the like merits and interests of like what they are and who would want them. Has that, has that changed uh, your own creation of what, what actually shows up on, on, you know, on microcosm? I mean, you know, there are certain, um, I'm trying trying to to look, but like, like, you know, dwelling portably, for example, is I think it seems like a book that maybe wouldn't have as, broad and appeal you know if it showed up at a, a barnes and noble for example they buy quite a few of them actually yeah. is that right okay but has 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 it has it changed the way you look at that i mean you know again like if you know you get to a certain point where you have to you have to have a sustainable business um are you looking at books that you think would have broader appeal because they have broader appeal no i mean well here's the difference in the last five years because and partly because like are the people like we not to badmouth anyone in particular but five ten years ago yeah. people would fight with us over books like we would like we were pretty forgiving and whatever and so like we would tell an author that we were interested in doing something and then but we like we didn't like force them to commit to us and so a lot of times what would happen is they would and they would like hedge their bets or get another offer or whatever mm-hmm. and go with somebody who had yeah. you know like was a bigger company. Yeah. And that happened a lot. 
Whereas nowadays, like we can publish exactly the books that we want to, and yeah. nobody is fighting us for them. Did you ever, at any point did you ever worry about getting too big though? I mean, we never really got. Yeah, like we stopped getting bigger. I mean, I like despite what illusions sure, may sure. indicate, like yeah, we yeah. shrunk. Yeah. In terms of staff. Yeah. Um. Over the last nine years. Yeah. You know, and and like why like the it just is forces greater efficiency. Mm-hmm. Like, and we do you know, and we in twenty twelve we did like forty two books, and then that was too many. So then we tried doing. I think 15 the year after that and it's like kind of the sweet spot yeah. is near there but you know i mean and i guess that's the thing is like when you're can i call myself prolific is that too is that a, is that a funny that thing to say no, no that's fair <laughs> you're like you, you keep busy at the very least when when you keep doing things yeah. for 20 years and you keep making stuff every month like the expectation is that you will continue to do that sure. at an equal or greater sure. rate rather than, yeah. you know, the opposite. Whereas, like, I feel like if I struggled and, like, all the things that I communicated to the world were, like, how much trouble I was having, like, with my spreadsheet or whatever, then, you know, yeah. they would, the expectation would be, I wonder if he's going to make it. You yeah. know, whereas, like, instead, I'm like, I know how to do this. I've been doing it forever. And I think it has the illusion of being bigger than it is. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's definitely like the people that work at Microcosm now. I I mean, I feel like it's the best staff we've ever had, which is part of it. You know? I always... This, this is... It feels like such an internet age thing, too, though. I, like, I have no concept of how big anything is. Right. Yeah, you know, exactly. I, um, you know, you, you go down these, these rabbit holes. You know, I, I had just I had um, one of the... Hosts of that show, Welcome to Night Vale, on. Mm-hmm. Um, are, are you familiar at all with it? It's a podcast, but it's it was for um, for a while. There was the number one podcast on iTunes, which is yeah. insane, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that makes it one of the larger media properties around. You know, when you're beating out when you're beating out This American Life, and it's and it's just this sort of um, subcultures have just formed in such an interesting way around the internet so mm-hmm. that it's just crazy to go down a rabbit hole and realize that there's this whole not only says there's this whole world of people you had no idea existed but that it's huge i mean i i the, the example that i i point to a lot is there's a, a web comic called penny arcade mm-hmm. yeah um you know and i i had no no notion of how big it was until i realized that they were doing like two huge video game shows like they like that that um, that yeah, like sure, mainstream media, you know, keeps shrinking, and you know, maybe like having a, a show on on like NBC isn't what it used to be, but these smaller ones keep keep getting keep getting larger and larger, and it, you know, I, I suppose that 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 my idea of your size is maybe a little bit skewed, and from the standpoint of like this is just what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you know, I see, I see them, but you know, you guys seem you guys seem to be putting stuff out all the time, and and certainly at the very least, you, uh, as I said before, are um, are the the biggest at what you do specifically. Mm-hmm. And I guess there's been some shift in that, but I get mostly it's 
you know, like we we can still do whatever we want. I yeah. guess is one value of like having no investors and yeah. having like complete independence. And you know, even if our distributor thinks everything that we're doing is stupid, like they yeah, they don't have any control, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And even if they think we're not working in our best interest, all they can really do is like give us suggestions sure. and yeah. you know from the experience that they have. Well, if you start putting out like racist pamphlets, they could probably just stop distributing you, right? Actually, they can't. No, which is, is that the, right? Yeah, they there's like a they there's a weird claw like there there's some very tasteless books out there. Mm-hmm. Um that's, yeah, I'm familiar. Uh, um and but you know, look up the books that are uh blacklisted from Amazon, for example. Mm-hmm. I think there's maybe 3 total now. Really? And so now you have a distributor clause that says basically if you publish a book that is like how to be a child molester or something that evil yeah let's say then they can decline to touch that title on the grounds of you know that they're basically encouraging criminal behavior hmm. you know but short of that yeah if we make a book they sell it huh. so, so what about you know what about the, the classic examples like the anarchist cookbook is that still is that something that um is that if, I, I haven't looked for it on Amazon, but I mean that that potentially oh, it's is there. encouraging illegal activity, right? Mm, yeah, I guess Ar- arguably. No, no, I mean because that has the clause of like informational. Yeah, you know, like nobody is needing the information of how to be a child. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, whatever they failed, <laughs> they failed in that court case to yeah, argue yeah. that. I guess yeah, is yeah. what happened. But what you know, I guess the point of it is. Yeah, and this was the crazy thing. So, like, we had always worked with these, like, sort of inward-looking radical groups to do, you know, people like um, AK Press. Yeah. And so when you, like, go there and you talk to them and you, like, hang out with them, all of the conversations are about, like, political strategy and, like, what are your goals and, like, how hard it is to be a bookseller and, you know, and, like, the sort of the change of it. Whereas, like... When you work with a distributor that is more of a traditional trade distributor, and we have now literally we have worked with every one but one because they're, they're those are consolidating too. Hmm. Um, the conversations are all about marketing. So, like even when it's the anarchist cookbook that you're selling, they're not talking about yeah how weird it is of a publication. They're talking yeah. about who do we sell it to? Yeah. Tell us what to do with this book. Yeah. You know, it's like a really different universe. Yeah. And even if, and so here's the other thing that's weird is like, even if some of their staff are like, you know, libertarians or, you know, Reaganites or whatever, they still work just as hard for the the books that they despise. Sure. Yeah, I don't know if a libertarian necessarily would be anti-anarchist cookbook though. That's mm, yeah, you know, touche. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's that's the sort of thing we that like as you know like because I got into all this stuff for like didactic reasons and you know and such. It blows my mind that like you would only be in books as a business. Like it just seems so weird to me. Yeah, yeah. I suppose that's true but you know you could you could only be in porn for the business of it. you know and yeah. it's anything you know only work in a restaurant for the business of it i mean you know, yeah jobs are jobs are jobs right but even, i mean it, but in here's the difference in books the top i mean not the top pay scales but like 
the top jobs that you could in any way romanticize yep. do not pay very well. Hmm. Nobody in publishing is getting paid. They're getting paid. Yeah, but not. you have to be like the president of a company with 600 employees yeah. or something to like have a wage for anyone to be jealous of. You don't write as much as you used to. It seems like, right? Or man, is man. That, am I am I wrong? Is it? I've that done right? more. Is that okay? See, this is again. We're getting mm-hmm. back to that. That you know, it's it it's. It, I felt. I feel like you were putting at least more pamphlets before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I did a few things. It's been a little bit. I mean, I did I did three books between 2012 and 2013. Okay. Um, you know, all like yeah. 100 to 200 pages. Yeah. Um, and I did, I and I wrote like the history, you know, when I was working on the film, I wrote the history of Portland's bicycle activism as a pamphlet, mm-hmm. zine even. Sure. And I did one that was like all the police documents yeah. that sort of tell the same story in parallel yeah. as another one and I did um it's been a little while but I have been a little bit um I didn't do anything in 2014 um I I'm doing actually I'm uh, on this trip I'm actually going to finish a new manuscript mm-hmm. and then I I have a book that comes out in August also um I guess it's a collaborative book but it was another idea conceived on the bus where it's it's called man's expressions and it's a encyclopedia of uh words that define behaviors um that all kinds of people but mostly men mm-hmm. uh perform for social gain purposes okay. and it's like an illustrated you know deal where you're you know and so it's like you know the the common ones are you know like a like a manversation mm-hmm. is uh, two men are talking, but no one is listening. You know, institutions, uh, things. There's many. It's, it's taking off of the mansplaining and yeah, yeah. I guess that would be the one that people yeah. are familiar with. Sounds like uh, sounds like you, you you've you've written a, a, an Urban Outfitters book. <laughs> well, <laughs> and again, it's like a way to poke at sexism yeah. without like loaded didactic. There's a little bit of populism in there. It sounds like right. I mean, that's yeah, in humor. Yeah, mm-hmm. but, but it's like even men have experienced and sure. suffered from these things. Yeah, no, and I'm not. I'm. I'm not saying that in a in a, in a derogatory way. I'm. I'm. I'm saying that again. Like this is this is the problem that we get into. This is certainly the problem that like that pro- progressives get into is um, if you're only selling your books at you know anarchist bookstores or you know super super leftist meetups things like that then mm-hmm. like how yeah how are you actually going to get that right. word out and right. you sort of in a way almost um disguised it maybe not dress it up but you know you put it in a, you you put it in 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 sort of a much a much more populist form and and it, it is of all the things you know like we and we're doing a, a reissue of the hot pants do-it-yourself gynecology and they both come out the same month. And it's those two books that are the only times that I've seen the salespeople squirm at our distributor. They don't like the like identifying of male behaviors. And they don't like uh. thinking about gynecology. I mean, and granted, they're all men in their 50s. Yeah. But, you know, that's, that's, that's interesting, again, because like, 
I don't know. I, I, I'm thinking that that might be, you know, like, again, your most sort of populist approach. Like, that might mm-hmm. be, that might have the broadest appeal. And that's, that's what, is, is it possible? Is it possible just that, like, they just don't get the other ones enough to understand why they should be offended by them? No, no, because this is the one thing. Like, this is their only job is to get everything. Yeah. You know, like, they only, the thing that every house of cards rests on is them being able to sort of tease out what the sales handles yeah. are and who the audience is okay. and how to reach them. Like, that's all and, they, and they do. they don't see that potential in these books. They do. Oh, no, they, oh, no, no, no. Exact, I'm saying exactly the opposite. Oh. They see the potential and they are reaching towards that potential. Yeah. These are just the ones that make them squirm huh. as, you know, as individuals. Interesting. And that, and, you know, you kind of, and you, it's like, so politically, that's how I know we're on the right tip. Yeah. Yeah, you know. I, want, I wanted to ask you. We were going down this road a little bit before, and this is something that I want to ask you, just sort of like on a on a on a personal level. This is a, like again when we're talking about short form versus long long form, and this is a problem that I've been running into when I think about my own writing, when I think about just you know what I've done in the past, what I'm I'm, I'm doing right now. Um, I get so 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 focused on you know what I'm writing for the day. Uh, a lot of it is you know I live in New York City again. Mm-hmm. That's the, the the big problem. Is like worrying about survival first yeah. and then everything else on top of that. And that, and that manifests itself in, in a lot of short blog posts and a lot of things that, um, you know, at the end of the day, I can't really necessarily look back and be super psyched about, Yeah, you know, even like, even in a lot of the earlier stuff I was writing, you know, when I was doing like, when I was doing my, my comic site for a while and I even, even some of the stuff I've done in tech, like I, I could look at it and, and be pretty proud, but it's, I you know I feel like my my attention span has has shortened along with everybody else's and and I'm very impressed that you and I'm very impressed that anybody else can sit down and decide that they're going to spend three months or six months or however long working on a long project has that gotten harder for you over the years or no no so here's the like. I wish I had six or nine months to write a book. Yeah. But, but you know what I mean? Versus, versus like, I, I literally, you know, I, I, one of the things that I do really well is I can write, you know, 20 blog posts in an hour. Yeah, yeah. It's right. a skill, and, but it's, it's, it's the most ethereal thing ever. Right. You're like, you're, you're not, yeah, I understand what you're saying. So, like, I've built my, it feels weird to call it a career. I've built my life yeah. in a way that I never do anything that I wouldn't be interested in mm. as like a reader or as yeah. a consumer or as a, you know, like that. And you know, it's not only like to say that I don't regret the things that I've made. It's to say that like, I, this is what exactly what I want to be doing at yeah. a compromise of all other aspects of my life. Sometimes, you know, mostly financially. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, there's, 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 you know, is, do you feel like there there might be a little bit of it's a little bit of timing, a little bit of luck, the ability to be able to do that, or do you? Think oh no, I'm just stubborn. You're just stubborn. I mean, I'm just yeah. like, why would I? Yeah. I mean, it's it doesn't work out a lot of the yeah. time. You know, like the book that I feel like is my best piece of writing is yeah. the one you've never heard of. Yeah, <laughs> you know? is that's bamboozled. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I would lovely I, would love to give you one if I had larger <laughs> luggage. Yeah, I just I, I I yeah I don't know like I I, I again I've been uh, thinking about this recently, but you know I'm wondering how much 
I personally have, you know, have, you know, potentially gone down the wrong path in that, like, I, I live in New York City, I feel a little bit stuck here in a sense, and, and you know, I, I can't, you know, I don't know if I could take a month or however long to, to focus on something like that, because, mm-hmm. you know, if I, literally everything would fall apart, literally yeah. everything would fall apart if I, if I, if I made that decision. I'm also, it's also, uh, it's also really easy to get caught up in the trap of instant gratification. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost crazy to me at this point to think of something, think of working on something now and having it go through the pro, you know, and, and like more mainstream book publishing is even, is an even longer process, right. From, from actually turning yeah. the manuscript to having it come out. Oh yeah. So the idea of, you know, doing something now and waiting two years, if you're lucky two years. Or, yeah. It, it's crazy. It's crazy to me could be four yeah you know and that that's like i'm not i'm done making feature films like i made yeah. four feature films across uh 15 years or something and i i mean it's like i i can't afford another four or five year project yeah that uh, ultimately doesn't make pay for itself you know and not even that it's just like i need to be working you yeah, know, I need to be doing stuff that is this just is this sort sort of a symptom of, of getting older? Or? Um, I mean, partly. Yeah, I mean, partly like my health isn't what it used to be, yeah. and partly it's like I can't afford to be doing that. Like I, I'm I'm more aware of the opportunity costs, and it's like yeah, people have a shorter attention span, so it's much harder to sell a feature length film than it is to like have somebody watch a two minute film, you know. And so like we have, or you know, and it's funny like for the first time in my life. I have outside funding for something and and so like we had to look at it in the mo like how do you get the most number of eyes on something yeah like we don't need to sell these groundswell films like they're already paid for so we need to get them in front of an audience so like we go we take them on tour and you know and we will put them on the internet for free and then how do you get the most number of people to actually watch them is you make them short and you make a lot of them yeah rather than like making one narrative yeah you know, you have these things that have related elements, but are all their own stories. Have you have you actively had you actively avoided that sort of out, that outside influence? I mean, you know, like circa two thousand five or six, I guess you said was kind of the height of microcosm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that there were some offers on the table. No, there weren't offers on the table. Never has been. Really? That's I mean, it's shocking to me to, to to hear because you know you've you've done such a breadth of stuff and and things that I, I think you know potentially could have that larger mainstream appeal. No publishers were interested in in buying in. Well, I mean, are you are you familiar with? Um, I'm sorry, the name is escaping me. Um, was it was it a Joy Division's record label or was it? Um, oh, the. Um, uh, factory Records? Factory Records, yeah. yeah, yeah. Are you familiar with their um, business model? We borrowed the wrong things from SST. I was at some point, but I can't refresh my memory. Right. It's and been a we, while we since. operated the same way that they did for many, many years. Yeah. And I mean, that like, isn't public information, but it's the, you know, the reality is yeah. that like, we only we published all the books. Like, in book publishing, the thing that is valuable is rights. And we did not own the rights uh-huh. to the things that we did. Yeah. We borrowed them from the author and yeah. let them keep them, which like made the company completely worthless because yeah. even our own inventory did not belong, yeah. like intellectually belonged 
to the author. It's a back catalog issue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and we did this on purpose. It wasn't yeah. like we had made a mistake. It was yeah. the like, this is a really badass thing to do. But you said you borrowed the wrong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that wasn't because well, then what happens is That's over and over, yeah. like authors walk. And they can... Their book is successful. They can take it elsewhere. Yeah, exactly. And then you're like, they don't... You know, I mean, sometimes they're very nice about it. But but I don't... I'm sensing a little bit of regret in your voice just from the standpoint of like... (laughs) Right. Well, I mean... Yeah, I mean, again, you said it was a conscious decision, but... but, Right. I mean, but then you have like a worthless company. Yeah. You work really long hours and all of your successes are somebody else's successes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's I don't know. It's it's such a it's it, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to think about, but it's a it, you know, like again, like as 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 punk rockers are aging, you know, as as they're um the you know, the, the, these things that you you sort of hold to for, you know, I guess very very good reasons, um your perspective on them shifts as you as you mm-hmm. get older. And what yeah, and so what it came down yeah. to was the like I can't work a hundred hours yeah. every week on this because a I want to do my own work. Yeah. I want to like write and I want to make things, you know. And then another part of it was like, I need to know that I'll have a paycheck next month. Yeah, you know. And so, t- you know, for all kinds of well, yeah. basic life reasons, you yeah. Know? yeah. Like, uh, and so that you know, now we have like an agreement that as long as we are paying the royalty the book stays with us, you know, as long as we are paying the author, they can't walk away. Do you, do you find as you get older that you get sort of more like more, more sympathetic with these people who you used to, you know, who like, especially like, you know, again, like as, as, as a young, like as a young punk rocker who you were just like ready to write off immediately. But now you, now you sort of, you yeah. have more perspective. Now you understand a little bit more like, you know, what, people have had to do to survive right yeah yeah i mean obviously like people take it hard in one direction or the sure. other like sure. you know i mean sst's legacy is yeah. they don't pay royalties yeah. to their bands yeah. i mean that's yeah. obviously yeah not the right thing to take from them yeah. you know as yeah. a model but uh and so that's an extreme yeah. case but i mean it's like yeah a lot of it where you know i mean many of my favorite shows were you know, with five other people in the audience, you know, like, and I had a great time and then I would meet the bands 10 or 20 years later and I would tell them how important of a moment that was for me. And they'd be like, that show sucked. What what I have noticed, you know, one of of the more interesting conversations I've I've had on the show was with uh, Sean Nelson, who was a singer, the singer of Harvey Danger. Mm -hmm. And, um, at some point, we got on the topic of like of regrets. It happens. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fascinating topic, and and it was really interesting to me. He said that the thing that he regrets above all, and this was really surprising to me, was that they um, had the opportunity to. They went on a, a, a Letterman, mm-hmm. and they had the opportunity to have Paul Schaefer and his band back them during a song, and they they didn't do it at the time. I guess at the time, again, like. It, to use it in the broadest sense, it didn't feel punk rock to do it, right? To yeah. almost like a shit version. And, and and he said he regretted it, and the, and the reason why he regretted it is just because, like, he had a very principled stance, but in retrospect, he 
I think does, didn't really understand where that principle came from. Like, and that, and that's a, that, that's the sort of thing that, that I'm realizing over the years is that, you know, it, it's easy to have something rooted in a really principled stance, but, but lose sight of the principles because you're so committed to that cause. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's the thing is the, like, like I'm a very mathematical person. And so to me, or I guess you'd call it logic in this case. So for me, the question is always the, like, what are the long-term consequences of this decision? And that is what drives me. And so in those cases, it was like, if I was that artist, this is a badass deal. Like this is in theory, like what, is interesting and like a good and it's a and for it was also a good way to like challenge the existing models because that was like we were doing very well despite that like despite all logic Mm -hmm. we were doing very well yeah and but then you know over time i mean and and this is and partly it's like the industry was changing is changing you know and so we would announce a book and then we would have to cancel that book because that the author would go somewhere else after we had... As soon as it was announced, uh, uh, yeah. publishers were interested in mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, and partly, like, there are some people that knew yeah. what our arrangement was, and they could offer... Is that no longer... It's no longer the case? Yeah, I mean, just because we can't, because now we would pay a fine yeah. if we announced a book and had to immediately cancel it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Uh, was, was, there, was there blowback? Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, but at the time, I mean, blowback from 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 just the fact that 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 you're changing that, you know, just the 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 the, the rights royalties, but the the rights um, management. Not real. Okay. They're probably well. I mean, I'm I'm not like thinking of it. Yeah. As I'm not remembering blowback. I I mean, I think there was people that were definitely like the the very like scrappy DIY people. Yeah they could be rubbed like the authors could be rubbed sure. weird about it cuz like they used to be able to sell their own books to bookstores yeah which is like completely disruptive and like violates our agreement with Perseus so like that can't happen anymore yeah. but not by any decision of ours like it just can't happen because of the like cascading set of agreements you know yeah and so that was more contentious than the idea that like somebody couldn't just walk away after we were successful with their book. What happened with what, what happened with the split? I remember that happening. I wasn't following it super closely, but how did that how did that happen? It, 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 it formed into two companies, and then that company sort of they went their own separate way. Yeah, and so yeah, what happened was after in two thousand, uh, I guess uh, six or seven. We, you know, we were, yeah, I guess 2000, it was the, the, and maybe this was the, the unraveling. I hadn't really thought of it in that <laughs> timeline before yeah. we, we had, we were just adding one to three staff members every yeah. year. And then people started to move out of town Yeah, and we were like a self-managed company, meaning like everybody that was hired was a boss. And so rather than like somebody having to approve you know, can I move to Los Angeles and keep my job? They would just be like, I'm moving to LA. See you guys. I'm still going to work here, you know? And then people were moving about. Mm -hmm. It was, and then, you know, we, then pretty soon we had like multiple offices in multiple States and that gets weird. And then, so like 
having like a sit down staff meeting is like a major ordeal. Was it just was it just because I mean it, it was was the company that much of a cooperative at that point that there was no okay and that was that was that was your intention was to let everybody have some sort of stake at least psychological stake in the company. Yeah, I mean when I started it in 96, like I never really thought of it as a company. You know, I didn't huh. think of it as a company yeah. for about 6 years. Like it just was this thing that was growing. Yeah. And then by the time there were like multiple employees, I was like, this is weird. Like yeah. the and you know, and it's partly like um one person an, an employee said that I was going to have a heart attack before I was 30 based on like the amount of stress that I carried. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, well that, you know, he's probably he's around me every day. He probably knows. Yeah. And so um, that my thought was that like I could reduce my stress by like making everyone invested in that way. Yeah. And then you know like politically it's the right thing to do. Yeah. From, you didn't. Like, you just didn't want to be a boss, or. Well, I mean, it's like I had read so much labor history sure. at that point in time sure, sure. that I was like, this is the correct yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, way of doing yeah, things. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes it makes sense. And then on another level, it was like. Well, you know, everybody, you know, and it's like, how do I even put it? It's like, when you work somewhere, like, you are the first person to see all of the dysfunction in that place. Yeah. And so, everybody was always like, this should be this way, this should be this way, you know. Well, that's the, the, you know, we keep coming back around to it but that's that's like that's the hard thing about actually getting things done when everybody i mm-hmm. I, I don't know I, I i thank god that that i i I'm, I'm not in a position where i have to make these 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 sorts of decisions i don't know i don't know what what the answer is i think there's you know i certainly um i see the problem in somebody sitting there and and and, and making making all this decisions for everybody but it's hard to get anything done otherwise yeah yeah i mean that's kind of what happened and so like further and further it decentralized like geographically and in far as far as leadership yeah and then this is sort of the problem that people don't talk about in like a collective or cooperative situation is that it's not the people that have the most experience or like the broadest intellect that really govern it's the people who are like of a traditional role of privilege yeah. as well as those who are the loudest and most demanding, you yeah. know? And so what would happen in, you know, is basically like whoever like fought the hardest and the longest would get their way, yeah. you know? And yeah. then over time that like disillusions the best and the smartest people until they leave. It's so hard though. Cause I, you know, it, it's so hard to not just look back and realize that you've, justified your bad decisions every you know uh, you know you've 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 realized that maybe maybe realistically it's not a tenable position and that's sort of how you became a tyrant right Mm -hmm. it's it's, i mean that's that's the way most people become tyrants is it's it's a pretty 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 gradual road of um justifying things on a on a case-by-case basis but you feel like you've you're you're at a point now where you've struck the balance pretty well between yeah. between the two between tyrancy and right. complete all out uh I guess I never really f- I mean like the if anything the problem was that the, I was not an experienced manager yeah and so I didn't know how to manage people but I needed people yeah like I needed more people than one but you think you can it, it is possible to 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 be a manager to be a to oh be yeah, a boss, yeah to call the shots without 
necessarily being a terrible person. And it's like a Gen X thing too. Like how's that? Uh, I mean, it's, it's like a documented uh, yeah. sociological and managerial thing. Is that people from my generation are very uninclined to manage other people, yeah. and like to a degree that they will not do it up and past the point of calamity. Yeah, you know yeah. that like and are and getting past that was sort of my big hurdle. Like, yeah. just, like, in the same way that we're, like, success apologists, yeah, yeah. we are avoiding, yeah. like, that it is a good thing and people want it to have clear guidelines and expectations and such rather than, like, an inconvenience hmm. or worse. People want that structure? People want, to, oh, be yeah. told, want to be told what to do? Well, they want to be told, like how every day is going to go yeah like they want to be told like this is the bar that you are to aim for you may not always make it but like this is sort of how things operate and you know it's like if they see everybody else showing up late for work then they are going to be late for work you you always got the books out though right i mean we were in an increasing amount of debt every single year is that no longer the case no we had our best year ever last year financially but mostly just because, like, it was the first year that I, or I'm not the first year. It was the first year after, like, we spent, we split the company in half in 2012. And and then spent the next two years paying off the old debt. And, like, everybody basically had to work for free for those two years. And then once that was cleared, 2014 was our best yeah. year ever. You have to step back. I mean, you know, it's it's financially more more successful, but it's a smaller staff who it sounds like are working a lot harder. So yeah. you must have to step aside every once in a while and make sure that you're not running people into the ground, right? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the the goal now is to like because yeah, the kind like the kind of thing that microcosm is, it can really easily eat people's yeah. lives. You yeah. know that like a lot of people use their personal email address for all their work emails. Yeah. And so they will literally work like 16 hours a day. And so this is the thing that like we're trying, you know, like, yeah. like we're, we've, we gave everybody, I think five raises since that, you know, since we covered those debts, partly so they don't have to work as many hours mm-hmm. and partly so like it, it can be like an adult sustainable job, not, you know, something that you are like indebted to, you know, that something is like. You know, and I think to a lot of people, to a lot of like historical staff, it's felt like a moral obligation. Like they know, you know, they know the tenuousness. Yeah. And they know yeah. the responsibility and they when know. When you see everybody around you working that hard, you end up working that hard. Yeah. Yeah. And then you know what the stakes are. Like yeah. people knew that we had, you know, a higher and higher amount of debt every year. Yeah. You know, and they knew that like, it, and it used to be that like, Every day as payday approached, there was a serious question, like, will there be paychecks? Is it, do, you ever, do, you ever, do you ever step back and look at yourself and realize, like, how, how strange it is that through this course of events that you've sort of become, in your own way, a businessman? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that is never lost on yeah. me. And, like, and that's the other, it's another weird thing where you're like, yeah, you kind of have to get past that. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, like, it's not doing anyone a service for me to ignore that. Yeah. You know, it's like, and this is the thing that comes up a lot is that like the best thing for our authors and our staff and our fans is for like us to be well organized. 
you know. Yeah. Again, it's this. It's this. this like these these um, expectations you, you've 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 put on yourself, and these these limitations you've given yourself, sort of based on these now somewhat abstract things in the past. You know, I'm thinking about like as it pertains to um, you know, the fact that like I'm reading things on a Kindle now, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you know, I've still got I, I pair this down my my walls of books down a little bit just because I've oh, moved yeah. so many times. Oh, you live but, in New York, but yeah, but but. Um, when I really, when I really sort of thought about it, you know, again, I was traveling a lot too. It, it, it's easier to to do the Kindle thing. I, I realized that, like, I'm not sure what my principled stance was mm-hmm. against that. Right. Right. Um, you know, I I, I can I, tell you so many principled stances. Yeah. Of, of what my my what what, what should, my justification should have been for not wanting one of those. <laughs> I, was, I, I mean, it's, it's Amazon, and there, there's there, there's the whole you know the, the corporate nature of it. But I, I just mean from the standpoint of like moving from paper to, to digital. You know, of mm-hmm. like of, of of again like my my CDs finally just went away. Right. It was I mean, crazy to move them from place to place. You know what what was it? What was it that made me think that? I was missing out on something or that it was a bad idea to transfer these already digital things onto my computer. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's not, that's just whatever that's like growing up and like yeah. accepting change, you know, yeah. where, where, I mean, like the difference is obviously that, you know, uh, the ebook as a product is, you know, pays the author a much tinier yeah. sliver yeah. and pays the publisher an unsustainably small amount of money to produce another book yeah i guess i guess the difference there is that you know is i was buying used books anyway so i don't know if anybody was making like and now there's actually like at least sort of a direct route for them potentially making money off of those versus like every i was you know i was i was a frequenter of um uh, you know all of these like the the book uh little like book trucks around like you know washington square park mm-hmm. nobody was making money off of those except for the resellers yeah yeah i mean but that's those aren't like in print books yeah. for the most part. That's another. Yeah, this yeah. is like a secondary market that yeah. is very important, honestly. Whereas, like, it's the difference between like supporting somebody's income yeah. and giving all of your money to the one person that is financially destroying the feasibility of writing books. Yeah, you know, yeah. like you don't you you would do everything you could to keep them from having your money. And like, ebooks are the one thing that that Amazon turns a profit from, hmm. you know, more than like, they don't make money from selling you a refrigerator or yeah. like the, the book that they sell to you at a loss, you know, when Stephen Colbert has a new hardcover book, they buy it for $16 and sell it to you for fifteen eighty. Yeah. And you know, we keep talking about tight ropes, but that's the sort of, that, that that's, that's the other one is, um, the tight rope of having to, you know, exist in a society, but trying not to you're trying to treat as few you know trying to like trample on as few people in the process as possible yeah right you wouldn't you don't want i mean i don't want i hope you don't want <laughs> your book purchasing to yeah. be at the cost of like the next generation of writers yeah. and publishers yeah yeah it's yeah it's just sort of it's it's almost a given at this point that you just don't you don't make money writing <laughs> Right. I mean, and yeah, the yeah. most people don't. That's, yeah. But the, but like it's the difference between not making money from writing and it being financially infeasible to create something that is well yeah. researched and well edited. Is this? Are you guys 
exploring digital at all or oh yeah we have you do we okay. have ebooks you do have ebooks we sell them on our website we sell okay. them through i mean but that's i mean it's partly like a every author's mom is like you really got to do electronic yeah. books it's a future and because honestly the biggest market for that stuff is the like over 60 crowd huh and then the other part of it is like our distributor push i mean our yeah. not our current distributor they they actually leave us to do what we do best. Whereas our previous one was like, you have to do eBooks. eBooks are, you know, how they make money basically. Yeah. But do you, do you, is there, you know, you're doing it out of a, a, a sense of obligation, but is there a future in it for you? No. I mean, the money in it is yeah. negligible. I mean, it's, it, it, what it re- represented 8% of the book industry in yeah. dollars. And then that shrunk to 6% and then it's held steady at 6% you know, for the last two years. Uh, the data isn't out yet for 2014, but I suspect it will hold steady a third year in a row. Yeah. You know, and so it's like at 6% of the industry with the vast majority of it being like trashy fiction, uh, pornography, and, you know, like uh, vampire erotica or mm-hmm. whatever, our nonfiction books are not, ever going to be a growth part of that you know this is super this is super fascinating for me because it just it seems like what makes sense for you guys economically is or physically is um contrary to uh conventional wisdom no 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 you're mistaking the difference between conventional wisdom and amazon's marketing dollars that tell you that well, ebooks are I just, the future. Yeah, I just mean you know, com- yeah, I just but you know, conventional wisdom from the standpoint of like just people don't make money printing books anymore. I mean that uh, conventionalism that, outside yeah. of publishing. That that's that's actually not true. Yeah, at all. I mean that's that is literally. I think, and I don't know. I mean, I get. I yeah. I, the only thing I see is that Amazon has invested so much yeah. money in selling that story as mm-hmm. the story that media endlessly runs with it hmm. even though like there are not any numbers to substantiate yeah. that and there's no real example i mean and i guess it's like it is not the story of the music industry yeah where like like book sales are right where they've ever been hmm. there's just too many books being made because of the person telling you that books aren't selling anymore yeah I, I guess it's i guess i guess i guess maybe i'm not using conventional wisdom correctly but just um that everybody sees everything going digital that that it makes sense that there would be some parallel with the with the record industry with you know with everything else if everything else is going in that direction right. why wouldn't publishing be going in that direction because that's not where yeah. people are shopping and it's, and it's and it's it's but it's not just the um and you know it's 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 more than just the the 50 shades of gray well, yeah, I mean, this is the thing is that yeah. there's basically two people who have done very well with self-published electronic products that everybody points to as the reason that they go sure. down that route. But you would be better off playing the lottery. <laughs> I just mean in terms of book sales generally. I mean, you know, I, I, how, you know that, that I, I hate the word boutique, but that, you know, that smaller publishers are also still reaping that benefit it's not just the twilight books like even like in physical publishing like that 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 everybody is still doing relatively okay at this point oh yeah 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 i mean we've been as an industry books have been stable yeah for years we had a like the 2008 2009 was a 
major disruption, but due to the recession, not due to like, I mean, obviously ebooks were very fringe at that time. I, I, I guess I, I assume that I assume that the fact that bookstores are closing is probably plays a pretty big part in that perception as well, right? Yeah, but that has more to do with the fact of like industry domination, like undercutting, and you know. yeah. But but isn't like the chain the chains and the small ones are going under? Like everybody is going all bookstores but are going. If under. you look at the percentage of market share that Amazon holds, yeah, there will be no mistaking why that's happening. Yeah. Yeah, but but again, it, you know, it makes sense from somebody outside of publishing why they would get that yeah. impression. Though, I mean, now that um, like my childhood bookstore, uh, Maxbacks Paperbacks in Cleveland, is um, they said they had their best year ever mm. because the borders went out of business. Oh yeah, and they basically took over author events for the entire east side of the city. Yeah, so like every time a mainstream author comes, they get to sell two hundred copies or whatever. What was the name? I went. I've been to Cleveland one time. Mm-hmm. Um, we went for Herbie Picar's birthday, oh, and there yeah. was a. Mm-hmm. I think it might have been in Cleveland Heights. There was a. It was like a restaurant with a little like used bookstore in the front. That's it. Yeah, that's Max Max. That's Max Max. Okay, mm-hmm. it was a. It's a good place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 and you know, I mean, that's like yeah. that's where I went and bought my first didactic political yeah. books as a, as a wee in, and then. How did you end up in Portland? <laughs> it's the really the. <laughs> I mean, it's like, uh, so I'm, I'm, um, as a, so microcosm's 20th anniversary yeah. is next February. Yeah. And so I like, I'm doing a proper history. Yeah. And the thing that will make the last 10 years make more sense. Like, and partly because, you know, I like, I've kind of gone in my shell so much to like for the purpose of having a private life that I'm like my god people like this is like what we're known for is like being like out about why we made a decision and like yeah. what's going on and so like we're going to do a proper okay. history of all this stuff and it's it's so funny that these you know these kinds of st- so like I just wrote this story yeah you know and so um I lived in a house um the short of it is that like my house burned down my job got bought by the mob and um i had been dumped by my date and i you know i mean in cleveland is not like a world of opportunity i mean i don't i think i think even harvey could acknowledge that mm-hmm. even though like he lived there when it was you yeah. know i mean i i you know i was born in the 70s not in the 30s yeah. so i missed the, the prime yeah. years you know and so to me it was like why would I stay here? I mean, and it's like all my friends were having kids yeah. and I wasn't, and you know, I mean, I wasn't going to like, and, you know, and everybody, like all the pressure is to like find a career yeah. and I wasn't going to do that, yeah. you know? And so, and it was like Portland I, and I had no idea. I had never been to Portland before, but that was the place where like everybody I met at punk festivals or like doing zines or yeah. like, that's where they were all moving. And so I was like, Oh, well, and you know, so it wasn't even like that's where I should go. It was more like somebody else was moving there, and they're like, "Hell, oh, you want to come with me?" And then all those people, like everybody from Cleveland that was going to move there with me, like every single one of them backed out, and then I went <laughs> by myself. Yeah, but they, they gave me the impetus to do that. And 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 microcosm existed yeah. prior to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it was like, but it wasn't very much stuff at that point. In yeah. th- I mean, that was only a few years in, and so it was like. Uh, I mean, I probably had more microcosm stuff than my own stuff, but still. I mean, now there would be no way yeah. to 
there's something there's something to be said for like growing up in a place where um you're going against the grain you know i mean there's there's something you know what i mean like when it when it's not i i just i almost feel like it it would be i mean you know granted i'm I'm from california but you know i did didn't grow up in like santa cruz or something like that like you know it's it's almost too easy to you know you need you need you need that built-in thing to 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 rebel against right i mean that's that's what that's what shapes our formative years i mean to me i feel like i don't I don't even think about me being against the grain. Like, I feel like in Cleveland, I was the grain. Really? Like, I feel like Cleveland informs me way more than Portland does. Like, I feel like like Cleveland has the reputation of crime and corruption. Yeah. But Portland is white-collar crime and sure. corruption, you know? Yeah. And that's... And so, like, to me, like, I'm way more comfortable to this day in the Midwest than I am like socially in Portland just because like we're being sort of filtered out by rich people like which would never happen in Cleveland yeah you know but um I guess it's it's more like a um like how do I even put it it's like the thing you know like we were all pro-union Democrats in Cleveland like and who knew how to have a fight like how you know like like when a 12 year old kid gets murdered by the police you riot because that's the appropriate response (laughs) like when the you know when they say basically this behavior was justified this police officer performed the duties of his job and yeah you know as such is not individually responsible and you're like well then it's the system's fault obviously and why aren't we pissed about that you know and so which in portland would you know people would maybe write like Pull letters to the newspaper. So you're not a, you're not above a little uh, little rioting if, uh, if, if the case calls for it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I I'd say like it should be justified sure. and it should be again yeah. politically targeted, like with an ask yeah. and an agenda, you know, rather than just like I am mad. Which you know, I mean, the Cleveland has that history in the '60s, but you know, it wasn't. Um, I feel like you know, at some point, you're just so mad that you're not like targeting your anger properly. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's, I don't think that's inappropriate either. That's like, in some ways, begets the same solutions yeah. that, you know, like a politically motivated and like politically savvy campaign does. There you go. That was Joe Beal. Uh, thanks so much to him for taking the time to do that. He was in town for a very, very brief amount of time. He came all the way out to Astoria, and then we proceeded to, to speak for a couple of hours or so. Uh, glad we finally had an opportunity to do that. We've been, we've been talking around this for a while. I know I've had a few microcosm people on the show in the past, uh, and I'm just sort of fascinated by what he does. I'm I'm looking at my, my bookshelf right now, and just a staggering number of, of the books that I have out there are from microcosm. It seems like every time I go to um, an independent bookstore, a, a zine show, a lot of comic shows, uh, all of these things that are... That, that that catch my eye I flip around there's a little microcosm logo on the back so um, certainly check out what he, he's doing over at uh, microcosmpublishing.com um, oh also he's got uh, he's got that new uh, that new DVD that we mentioned After Mass it's examining bicycle culture in Portland and he's just 
touring around all over the place talking about uh, about bicycle legislation, things like that. Uh, thanks so much to him for taking the time to do that. Uh, thanks to Brian, as always, for editing this uh, this thing together. Uh, thanks to you guys for, for listening. If you liked what you heard, you can send us an email. to riwildcast at gmail.com. Uh, rate us over on iTunes. Um, you can uh, follow us on Tumblr. That's riwildcast.tumblr.com. That is the first and best place to get to all of your uh, RIYL-related information. Uh, got lots of good shows coming up. Got got a, got a lot of interviews in the can already. Um, <clears throat> for those of you who, who know me and follow me uh, on Twitter, uh, you know that I'm starting a full-time gig in the uh, the, the not-too-distant future. Um, actually, it's like next week as I'm as I'm recording this uh, and actually next week as you're hearing this um, so uh, I, I'm, tr- I'm gonna try to do my best to not uh, have that impact the the, um, the daily schedule of the show but you know if we uh you know, if in the coming weeks or months we're, we're, uh, we're not able to hit it every single week, uh, you know, just, just stick around. Lots of, lots of good things coming up. Um, but uh, we will be back next week with another episode of RIYL. Catch you then.